I, I was doing the chapter 21 of the confession last time before my vertigo and flus and all these things. And I stopped so I wouldn't just run through the Sabbath. I'm going to do the seventh and eighth paragraphs of chapter 21 of the confession on the Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and we thank you that you give us rest, and we look forward to that great eschatological rest that awaits us in the age to come. But Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the market day of the soul, for the joy of a day set apart unto you. And we pray as we study this theme tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's two paragraphs, paragraph 7 and 8 of chapter 21, the the chapter on worship on the Lord's day, and the first is, is this. As it is the law of nature that in general a due proportion of time be set apart for the worship of God, so in his word by a positive moral and perpetual commandment in binding all men in all ages, kept holy unto him, which from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ was the last day of the week, and from the resurrection of Christ was changed into the first day of the week, which in scripture is called the Lord's day, and is continued to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath. All right. And that, 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 by the way, is, I suppose, one of the more controversial paragraphs in broader Christendom, uh, in particular because of the Reformed view that the Lord's Day, there's not much controversy among Bible-believing Christians, that there's a Lord's Day. Uh, that is the usual language used in the New Testament, and they met on the Lord's Day, and it was on a Lord's Day when the Spirit when the, spoke to John and, and on the Isle of Patmos, the language of the Lord's Day. But the confession teaches that the Lord's Day is the Christian Sabbath. Now, I suppose the majority of evangelical Christians would quarrel with that, and they are wrong. Uh, the, the confession works out the biblical basis for the view that the Lord's Day, our Sundays, that that day, the Lord's Day, is the, the continuation of the Sabbath ordination, which is in fact perpetual. And they argue it is a law of nature. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so the Sabbath begins not with Moses in the, when he goes to Egypt and they work seven days a week turning bricks, mud into bricks. Uh, that they certainly, the Sabbath certainly was given to them as a great blessing. Uh, the Sabbath actually has its beginnings before the creation, actually at the, uh, the seventh day after the creation of man. That God established the pattern of six days of work and one day of rest. In fact, in the, in the fourth commandment, which I, I have another slide, it specifically references that for God rested on the seventh day and called the Sabbath holy. Uh, and so well, the import of that is uh, there are other things, there are certain practices of the church, say the Lord's Supper, which is tied to a certain redemptive era. The Lord's Supper is for the Christian age. Jesus instituted it. Uh, as a memorial and sign and seal of his atoning death and the new covenant in Christ. They didn't do the Lord's Supper prior to Christ. So there's an example of a worship practice that's tied to a redemptive era. Circumcision was tied to the Abrahamic covenant. It's now baptism. It's tied to a redemptive covenant era. The Sabbath is not like that. The Sabbath was instituted before there was sin, before there was before the fall had taken place, and therefore um, uh, it's not tied to a redemptive era 
It is perpetual. Romans 121 talks about how God is revealed in all creation and men owe him thanks. And so it is due time must be set apart for his worship. And so the principle of of the, the Sabbath rest of God into which his people enter is grounded in creation. It's also a, a, actually the language of the confession is, a positive moral and, and perpetual divine commandment. The fourth of the Ten Commandments calls for one day in seven to be set aside for worship. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Now the Ten Commandments, you remember, are God's moral law. And so Sabbath observation is a moral obligation. Now, the, uh, the, the terminology of the confession is that the positive aspect of it is which day of the week it is, the particular aspect of it. And the positive aspect of a commandment may adapt, as is the case with this one. But the principle itself is not an adaptable thing. Uh, and uh, it's amazing today where there's so many arguments made against Sabbath observation. I, I just want to go... Y'all, it's the fourth commandment. It is one of the ten commandments. And I, I'll stop ranting on that because i got another slide that will deal with that. Uh, the, the positive aspect, that the particular application of it, as they point out, from creation to the resurrection of Christ was the seventh day of the week. God, they work six days, rest on the seventh. And you go, well, how come it changed in the New Testament? Because God changed it. He has the right to do so. It's now a memorial of the resurrection. Our rest is, is through, it's in Christ, the resurrected Christ. And we see in Acts 20, verse 7, there's actually a mention of it in 1 Corinthians as well, that the apostles changed the day to, re- to reflect the resurrection of Christ. And so we worship, we, we, we set aside the Lord's day, the Sabbath, is not Saturday, but Sunday. It's not the the end of the week, it's the beginning of the week. Uh, now, let's talk about it being a perpetual ordinance. Yeah, you can read that. Because um, here's the question. Was the Sabbath part of the Old Testament observance that they were to do, but now that Christ has come, we no longer observe the Sabbath? Undoubtedly, that is the majority view among evangelicals, mainly because they've never taught about it in most cases. No one's ever taught it. It's never crossed their minds. There is a movement today, mainly among Reformed Baptists, what's called New Covenant Theology, to argue that the Ten Commandments as a whole were situational, and the Ten Commandments were tied. Actually, I've read some articles on this that almost resulted in me banging my head against my desk, but I, I, I refrained from doing so other than metaphorically. Uh, but uh, that the Ten Commandments were provisional for that redemptive era. That is an extraordinarily novel view that would horrify uh, virtually every Christian of a different generation than ours. And why do we believe that the Ten Commandments, including the Fourth Commandment, are perpetual uh, well, for instance, it was, it's not, it, 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 let me put it this way. How do, how do we differentiate the Sabbath from the ceremonial law? You know, I, actually, I was in an airport recently, and there were some Hasidic Jews, and they had the hat and the dress, and they had the Deuteronomic hairdo, which is a little out of style, but 
It's Moses would love it. The uh, and so why don't I have a yarmulke on? Why do I not have curly hair and a beard? I mentioned this the other night. What do you think about me having a beard? It, I have no desire to get a beard, but she really has no desire for me to get a beard. The uh, um, I then began discussing what type of mustache would she go for? No is the answer, and I'm I'm being facetious. Why don't I wear one of those hairdos? Well, because that was part of the ceremonial law. And the ceremonial law had a redemptive epoch, namely the Mosaic Covenant. And, then, and this is what Hebrews is talking about it when it says the law was a shadow of the things to come. Now that Christ has come, the ceremonial law is set aside. Well, why isn't that true of the Sabbath? Because the Sabbath is not in the ceremonial law. It's in the moral law. It's instituted as valid for all days. It is not subject to... I mean, the application can change, but the principle does not fall away now that Christ has come. Now, the Ten Commandments, contrary to the ceremonial laws, were written by God's finger on tablets of stone. Now, what's the message of that? I just want to say transitoriness is not the message of that. Impermanence is not what God's trying to convey when uniquely he, with his own finger, writes the ten words on tablets of stone. And they were spoken by the Lord directly, not through Moses. His voice from the mountain spoke the the, the ten devarim, the ten ten commandments. Um, Moreover, when Israel traveled, at the center of the camp during the Exodus was the Ark of the Covenant. There's this centripetal... Is it centrifugal or centripetal? This inward pulling idea. Which one is that? I always get it wrong. Centrifugal? Centripetal? Okay. And the Ark of the Covenants, they're they're, they're, they're to be inward, not outward looking. And what's in the Ark of the Covenant? The Ten Commandments. And so central to the life of the people, valid perpetually, we call it the moral law because it's a reflection of the moral character of God. And it therefore never changes. Let me give you another reason. The Sabbath is confirmed by Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 24, verse 20. You'll hear this all the time. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard this. Well, because I'll say, why, why is one of the Ten Commandments no longer valid? The fourth commandment is, keep, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Why, is, why do we, and most people will say, yes, thou shalt not murder. That's perpetually true. Uh, honor your father and mother. That's perpetually true. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Why is it then that the, the, the Sabbath is not perpetually binding? They'll say, well, you know, it's never confirmed in the New Testament. Okay, when, when you hear a theologian or preacher say something like that, check. Check. Because here's an example where that's simply not true. And in the Olivet Discourse, in the portion where Jesus is prophesying the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, and Jesus did prophesy that, there's a reason why when Jerusalem fell under Titus in AD 70, there were no Christians caught in there because Jesus told them it was going to happen. He told them how they would know it was going to happen. And when that happened, they skedaddled out of there, and Jesus had prophesied that. And in that prophecy, he says, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. So so here's Jesus making a prophecy and giving commands about an event that is manifestly in the Christian age. It's a generation after his resurrection and ascension. And he mentions the validity of the Sabbath. It is a valid, perpetual ordinance. Uh, It's attested to in Isaiah 56, verses 6 to 8. 
I don't think there's serious Bible scholars who would deny that the final section of Isaiah, uh, 56 to 66, is written about the situation, about the grace of God in the new covenant. And there's a lot of reasons why that must be true. In fact, chapter 56 talks about the, the salvation of foreigners. Well, there is no salvation of foreigners in the old covenant. You have to be a non-foreigner. You have to be an Israelite to partake of the gospel through the ceremonial law. And so the salvation of foreigners is a new covenant scenario. And there's actually a lot of proofs of that. And in it, he says, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. So he's normatizing the blessing of the Sabbath in the church age. Um, The Sabbath sign remains valid then until the return of Christ and the new heavens and the new earth. Now, I was actually taught as a new believer to not believe in the Sabbath. My beloved pastor, James Boyce, was anti-Sabbatarian, and he wrote some really, he wrote, here's a man who wrote, Thousands of pages of great things. He's bound to have some bad pages. And, and I've read some things with him on the Sabbath. I'm like, oh, that's like really bad. And, uh, and I went to one of my professors in seminary. His name was Richard Gaffin. And I went to him and said, I'm out of sync with everybody because I don't believe in the Sabbath. I don't buy it. It's part of the old covenant. And uh, would you explain it to me? And I walked out of his office about 40 minutes later, a confirmed Sabbatarian. And I actually preached Hebrews 9 in the presence of Dr. Boyce about a little afterwards. And I didn't pick on him. I didn't mock the pastor. I just preached it. And he said to me afterwards, oh, you're probably right. <laughs> but a statement there I have highlighted is Hebrews 4, 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now, if you feel free to look at my commentary on the whole chapter because it's about salvation being rest. The people who are opposed to the Sabbath say the Old Testament Sabbath is fulfilled in the salvation rest that we have in Jesus. Our Sabbath now is, is the gospel and its salvation. And he certainly talks about in that passage. But then he changes the word he uses for Sabbath. This one is sabbatismos. It means Sabbath day observance. It's not the principle of rest. It's the Sabbath day observance itself. And he says, actually, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And I would put it this way. It's true that the Sabbath day, the seventh day, now the first day observation of the Sabbath, is a sign that is fulfilled by the coming of Christ. But what they're getting wrong is it's fulfilled not by the first coming of Christ. It's fulfilled by the second coming of Christ. And, and you and I know this, while we partake of rest, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And every one of us can go, oh, I have entered into that rest through faith. And I no longer have guilt, and my anxiety has a place to go. And I cast my fears on him, and he cares for me. I have rest in Christ. And yet it is not complete in this life. We do not enter into the fullness of the rest that Christ gives. The Sabbath ordinance will be exhausted in the new heavens and the new earth, and then all will be rest. But you and I are living in an era prior to that, where the the second coming has not yet come. The creation ordinances have not given way to the new creation, and, and then that will happen. And you and I need spiritually, we need it physically, we need it doxologically, we need a one day in seven rest. 
And so this is the confessional argument for the ongoing perpetual validity of the Sabbath day and the Sabbath day observation of God's people, which raises the question, how then do I keep the Sabbath? Well, here's the answer. This is the last paragraph of that chapter. This Sabbath is then kept holy under the Lord when men, after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering of their common affairs beforehand, do not only observe a holy rest all the day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employments and recreations, but also are taken up the whole time in the public and private exercises of his worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy. Let's work through that. Now, first, you say you haven't read the commandment yet. Let me read the commandment itself. That's a little small, but you can see it. Here's the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now you notice there, the, the, God is grounding the Sabbath not on something redemptive, but on the creation in his own habit. Now, first thing is the Sabbath is to be kept holy. Now, what does holy mean? Well, the word holy, you know, is set apart. And so our Sundays are to be different from Monday to Saturday. They are to be set apart. They're not to have the same structure and the same pattern. Keeping the Sabbath holy means it's not the same as the other days. And it's not only that it's different, it's set apart, but it is set apart for the sake of the Lord. You know, the, the holy vessels in the temple were the, were the forks and the, the spoons for incense that were only used for the Lord. A, a sanctuary, a holy place, is a place set aside for the worship of God. The, the Sabbath as a holy day is one day in seven that is set apart for the Lord. And so that's the basic idea. And there's three ways, really, in which it's to be kept holy. Primarily, we are to set aside our work. Here's how uh, the confession put it. After a due preparing of their hearts and ordering of their common affairs beforehand, they observe a holy rest all the day. And so we are, to, to whatever your work is, the sap, keeping the Sabbath holy means that you set it apart and you don't work on that day. Now, if you're an, a nine-year-old boy, your work may be Little League Baseball. If you're a graduate student, your work is studying. If you're an accountant, your work is accounting. If you're a gardener, your work is gardening. So it may look a little different. But we are to set aside one day from our work while we trust the Lord. I, I think this is hugely significant to Christians. I'll give you an example from my own past. When I went to seminary, it was like an overwhelming amount of work. And I did a four-year program in three years, zeal without wisdom. Uh, and so I was just, I, the amount of stuff I had to read, and it was just incredible. And then my dear wife said to me, are you planning on working on Sundays? And I said, yeah, I got to study all the time. I mean, honey, you have no idea how much study I have to have. And she was very good, okay. And so I, here I come out of Dr. Gaffin's office persuaded that I'm to keep the Sabbath day holy. And so I come back home and I go, I'm not going to study on Sundays anymore. And she's like, fine. 
uh, how you can get it done. I mean, what's your plan? And the answer is, I'm going to rest in the Lord. And this is, uh, I'm going to put it this way. The Sabbath is a sign of the sovereignty of God. Because we have a sovereign God, we don't have to live like the, Egypt, like the Israelites did in Egypt. Seven days, churning the mud, turning mud into bricks. And work, 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 work. We are people who have a God who cares for us and he fortifies us. And one day of the week, we can set aside our labor and, and, be, and, and to have rest from our works. I would encourage you, if you are a student, not to study on the Lord's Day. I, if you are a child whose your work is, is youth sports, I would encourage you not to play games on the Lord's Day. Remember, we were in South Florida uh, we had a, a little league, and there were a lot of evangelicals in South Florida. Um, and Matthew was like, you know, he was like 11-year-old little league, so it's starting to get good, you know. And, uh, and he gets, the coach says, uh, our practices will be at 1230 on Sundays. So I took, Jonathan, I took Matthew with me, and I went to the coach, and I said, Coach, um, I, uh, I just here to let you know, we're very sorry, but Matthew will not be attending a practice at 1230 on Sunday. And why not? Well, we're Christians, and that's the Lord's Day. He'll be at church. He's like, well, okay, it's only going to be 1230 for like the first two weeks. We're moving it to 4 p.m. on Sunday. After that, it'll be fine. And I said, look, I'm really not trying to be difficult, but we will not be practicing any time on the Lord's Day. And I remember him saying, well, you can get on some other team. And he said, actually, there's some more tryouts coming, and, you know, um, yeah, maybe some people will take him, but, you know, on my team, you practice on Sundays. And it was a good experience for Matthew. In fact, I, I had showed him Chariots of Fire beforehand, and he thought it was a very boring movie with a lot of talking in it. So I, I don't know. <laughs> that didn't have the effect, but I think it meant a lot to him as a young boy that, you know, we're taking a stand on God's Word. We're living as Christians. Now, the funny thing was, when, we, when, we, when he did the tryouts, and the coach saw Matthew pitching and hitting, he decided the team could switch its practice to Monday, and there was no problem with having the Christian boy on the team giving his power uh, uh, line drive smashing uh, uh, baseball stroke. And he actually, after he saw him at tryouts, he changed the time. But I thought that was a, a blessing to my son. That we're, we're not, you know, we live in the, you and I know it, we live in the idolatry of sports and recreation and of work. And, and it's, they're not all necessarily idolatry, but we, we have to keep them from being that. One way we keep things in their places is that we keep the Sabbath day holy to the Lord. And so we keep that. I mean, just the plain text is that we, there, we do not work on the Sabbath. Now you go, well, you work on the Sabbath. Yeah, and it's a, it's a burden too. The, uh, the Levites worked on the Lord's Day, and I, I actually take Mondays off because I need a day of rest. Uh, and I, I love Sundays. I, actually, I don't, I don't want to make it's, it's not a burden in that sense. It'd be nice to just go to church and, and rest, but someone's got to preach, and that's me, so uh, among others. And, but the principle is what is your work? Take a break from that work and don't, because you have a God. You have a sovereign God. You're not left to your own devices. He will care for you. Yes, he will supernaturally compensate you. And I was actually, I thought, a better student after I stopped studying on Sunday because I was resting on the Lord. That's the first part of it. And the second part they emphasize is setting aside our recreations. And let me say this, that I'm on the, 
examinations committee of presbytery, so when someone's being ordained or transferring from another presbytery, they have to go through my committee and they present their exceptions. The vast majority of PCA ministers take an exception to the recreation clause of the Sabbath. Uh, And it leads to some interesting conversations and I think largely misunderstandings. Um, Here's what the confession says. We're to rest from our own works, our words, our thoughts about their worldly employments and recreations. And so Sunday is not to be a second Saturday. You know, in America today, it's like we're not supposed to work seven days. Well, nobody works seven days anymore. We play five days. Uh, And Sunday has become the second Saturday. But I think the confession is actually right about recreation. And the reason is the verse I have above that. Uh, Isaiah 58, 13 to 14, again, incontestably speaking into the new covenant situation. And he writes this. And I have to admit, this, this weighs on my heart and conscience. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable... If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so it's not just my work, it's also my pleasures. And so the confession teaches, I think on sound biblical warrant, that it's not just what is your work, but your, your hobbies, your recreations. And I'll give you an example. It's well known that I'm a graduate of the University of Michigan, and I am pretty highly interested in Michigan football. And it's, it's, it's not Sunday, so we are 13-0. We're in the playoffs. I don't want to talk about it on Sunday, though. I'm not upset about it. But, I mean, people, I don't mind someone saying, hey, because they're being nice to me. Hey, great game from Michigan. But I actually don't want to watch highlights on Sunday. Uh, and, and I really love Michigan football, and our Jimmy has done it. We're, like, really good this year. We, no, I'm sorry, my Georgia f- f- friend. We, we, I, I know that Georgia's going to be picked over us, and they should be favorites. We can do it. I, I'm pretty pumped about the game. But I just have something better to think about on the Lord's Day. I have something better to talk about on the Lord's Day. And so the idea, and I'm sure we all do this imperfectly, but the idea is that we rest from our labor and from our worldly recreations. Now let me say, um, so, so the kinds of worldly recreations we do on others' days, uh, watching a ball game, going out to the movies, that kind of thing, we're really not sanctifying the Lord's Day. It's not something we're keeping different and holy if we're doing on it the, the, the kind of the major recreation events we do elsewhere. The kind of questions we'll ask at the presbytery meeting because the guy says, oh, I think the Sabbath should be kept holy, but, uh, but we should be able to do recreation. Well, that is the kind of comment that is going to get you a follow-up question or two on the examinations committee. And I might ask you, what does the word holy mean then? Oh, set apart and different. And so I go, like, for instance, kind of the classic ones, would you go to Atlanta to a Braves game? I think there's a lot of reasons not to go to a Braves game that have nothing to do with the Lord's Day. And and some of them will go, yeah, that's no problem with that. I'm just like, okay, my problem is not your Sabbath observation. My problem is what does the word holy mean? If anything goes, uh, and and I would say this, uh, uh, There is necessary and beneficial exercise and recreation 
that is conducive to the Lord's day. Let me give you an example. If you have little children and you're going back to the evening service, I recommend you put them on the trampoline for an hour or so before they go. That is not violating the Sabbath. That is enabling them to sit still. Uh, a family walk. One of the things that we've enjoyed a lot is to go on a walk in the afternoon and, and, and just enjoy each other. Certainly a hospitality, having friends over. The, so, And my point is, I'm going to say on the next slide, let's not be legalistic. And I don't want to take a legalistic attitude. But I just want to teach what the biblical teaching is. And Isaiah 58 is pretty clear. We're to rest from our work, from our, rec- our, our, our hobbies and recreations, and from our idle talk. We're to sanctify the day of the Lord. And again, that does not exclude principally wholesome recreation, the aim of which is to further the purpose of the Lord's day, which is the market day of the soul. It's the day given to God. I don't know about you, but I probably can't stay focused for 24 straight hours or 18 straight hours or 12 straight hours. So a walk in the park may very well be conducive. My dog has to go to the bathroom. He has to be walked. Uh, Acts of necessity are fine, those sorts of things. But you know what I'm saying? In the spirit of America today, where it's work and recreation, the Lord's day is to be different. It's to be holy. It's the Sabbath to the Lord our God. The third thing that we'll say about the Lord's day We keep it holy by not doing our work, not doing our recreation, but by devoting ourselves to the worship of God. But are also taken up the whole time in the public and private exercises of worship. Now, this does not mean that you have to be reading scripture or praying or singing a psalm or hymn the whole time when you're not eating. Uh, But what what your day is devoted to the means of grace. And that may look different in your situation. Um, uh, Sunday, again, is not a second Saturday. It's the day for the Lord. Chad Van Dixhorn says this, If we remember the Sabbath day, worshiping our Lord and aiming to do good, if this is the longing of our hearts with God's help, we cannot go far wrong. You know, the Puritans call the Sabbath day the market day of the soul. Our goal on the Lord's day is to, is to commune with him, to, re- to enjoy rest in him, and to, and to worship him and benefit from his means of grace. Well, let me conclude with some pastoral help and observations. We should not observe the Sabbath in a legal spirit. You're going, it's the law. Yeah, but you know what I mean. For instance, we should not be emphasizing the details of how it's broken. And I think there are some who do that. And there's going to be arguments about every detail of it. I'm not in, personally, I'm not that interested in those arguments. Everything I just said, I think you, with the help of the Holy Spirit and the Bible and your elders, can work these things out. We should be reveling positively in the enjoyment of God and his grace, not, not doing well. In this case, it is what the Pharisees did to Jesus. Jesus is walking through a field with his disciples. They are hungry, and so they take some grains off the stalk, and Pharisees show up and go, uh-uh-uh, you're not allowed to take. And Jesus is like, look, the Sabbath was not made. Sabbath, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. And, and I'm not saying everybody's a Pharisee who has strong Sabbath concerns. You've got to be careful about the Pharisee connection, although it's real in this case. We should not observe it in a legal spirit, keeping tabs on each other. I like to say we do not keep the Sabbath by uh, examining everybody else's way of keeping the Sabbath. I think everything I've said so far is, is pretty sufficient. We should uh, not do it in a legal spirit. 
but it should be seen as a blessing and a privilege. In fact, I'll say this. If we don't approach Sunday in a way that says, I'm looking forward, Sunday is a blessing. Sunday is a privilege. I look forward to it. It's the market day of the soul. I love, you know, I, I will tell you, last Sunday night, I'm sitting in the congregation with you all with a pretty full sanctuary, and we're singing those great hymns, and young Jeff gets up there and preaches a great service. I was having the time of my life. That was just, I, I was just so happy. It was just such a blessing to be sitting with my wife, holding hands during the hymn, sharing a hymnal. And, and we're singing with all of you, and we're in the Lord's house. And I, I just say, I love the, I, I love the, there's a different thing about the morning service. I love the energy of the morning service. I love the vibe. I just, that evening service last Sunday night, I just thought, man, I, I, this could go on for another hour and be great. That's the spirit that we ought to have about the Lord's Day. And if we're not looking forward to it, then maybe we're being too legal about it, to, to be candid. And so let's make it primarily uh, uh, we, look, it's the law of God. The law is for our good. We have a duty to do it, but it should be a blessing we look forward to. Uh, it makes provision for works of necessity and mercy. And so you go, what about, you know, and, and how many times in the gospel does Jesus heal a blind person and the, and the scribes and Pharisees accuse him of breaking the Sabbath? And y'all, doing good is not breaking the Sabbath. Healing the sick, helping someone get their, their donkey out of a pit. These are the biblical examples. Stopping and helping someone change their tire. You know, uh, being a nurse who's working in the hospital. You go, well, she's being paid. You better believe she's being paid. But if she's not working in that hospital, people are going to die. And she's not breaking the Sabbath, although that's a burden. And I would say that if you have works of necessity that keep you from being able to do it, you should try and work that out. Make sure you can get to church. By the way, one of the benefits of evening worship is if you miss one that way, you can make the other. That's one of the reasons we do communion, morning and evening. We, we alternate it for that reason. But then make sure you're taking rest in the Lord. Um, so works of necessity and mercy are, are not breaking the Sabbath in any way. And remember Jesus' emphasis, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. It's true that our rest is in him. And so anything you're doing with and for Jesus, y'all, you're not breaking the Sabbath. Evangelism is a great thing to do on the Lord's Day. Uh, and and our, our, you know, me preaching on the Lord's Day, the things that we're doing, us worshiping, the th- it's, it, it's, it is pointing up to him. Uh, I would give you some advice. Oh, and I said earlier, the Sabbath is a sign of the sovereignty of God. How, how could God rest? On the seventh day, because he is so sovereign that he remains sovereign even when he's taking a rest. And you and I have a God who loves us and he is sovereign and we don't have to live like slaves. We live like his beloved people, his covenant people, and we, 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 we keep the Sabbath day to the Lord. And it's a sign of our spirituality. I often think of John Payton, the great Scottish missionary who went to the New Hebrides Islands. The, the King of the Cannibals is the book. Jim Cromartie wrote the book. Uh, and, and he and his wife go down there, and, you know, it's cannibals. And, and he has this epic. If you haven't read The King of the Cannibals or another biography of John Payton, you, or I think I heard it pronounced Patton recently, but... Uh, uh, you, all these years I've been saying John Payton, then a Scottish guy comes by and calls him Patton. Oh, well. But... Uh, it's this incredible story. And at the end, the Lord actually blesses him to convert this entire island. I think it was uh, Anawa. It was Anawa. It was the island. It was thoroughly converted. And, and he set up a church. He set up a Presbyterian church there. And then he goes back to Scotland on a, on a fundraising 
you know, this is 1880, on a fundraising trip, and he finds that the spirituality of Scotland had declined. And one of the comments he makes is, oh, how I long for the holy Sabbaths of Anawah. A simple people living in biblical rhythm, setting aside their work and recreation, and devoting themselves with joy in the Lord. And I often thought about that. Oh, the holy Sabbaths of Anawah. Well, that's what we have the privilege of enjoying. So here's some practical advice. Uh, when you're able, morning and evening worship is a great help to the Sabbath. It's not the Lord's morning, it's the Lord's day. And, you know, I, honestly, when a church doesn't have an evening service, and most don't, it's hard to see how the Sabbath is being taken care of. I mean, it's very helpful. You start the day going to the morning worship. You close the day at evening worship. Uh, that leaves, what do you do in the middle? Here's my advice. Uh, lunch is a big deal. Lunch on the Lord's Day is a great time for hospitality. Uh, not everybody can do it all the time, but if we can be together. We had a family in my church in Florida that had these massive Sabbath day meals. They had like 40 people there, and we would sing and, and would take turns cleaning the dishes. I don't think his wife did all of that. Uh, and, uh, and that's a great... Now, not every family is going to be able to do that. But I think the key to it is actually what do you do after lunch, particularly if you have children. And I, one thing we did when our children were growing up was we would read to them on the Lord's Day afternoon. And I was not raised a Christian, so I'd never read C.S. Lewis' Narnia. And so I personally read Narnia for the first time, reading it aloud to my children, like from, you know, 1.30 to 3 on Lord's Day afternoons. And, uh, and after we got done with, with all of Narnia, we did Pilgrim's Progress. Let me just put in a plug for Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, the young people today don't, haven't read Pilgrim's Progress. They don't know Pilgrim's Progress. And read it to your children because it's filled with, with biblical insight and, and, and great examples for Christian living. And I have to admit, by the time we were doing Pilgrim's Progress, I was a little older then, and I preached twice in the morning and sometimes see Sunday school. I tended to fall asleep in the middle of the Lord's Day afternoon uh, Pilgrim's Progress reading, and usually I would wake up after 10 minutes and they'd be sitting there waiting for me. I'm like, that's impressive. Uh, practically the key is what do you do in between? But I think maybe most important in this respect, approach the Sabbath in a light and joyful spirit. I have known people who were raised in strongly reformed families that were deeply committed to the Sabbath, but it was done in a dour spirit. And so as adults, they dreaded the Lord's Day, and it really hurt them. I remember one guy, he's a minister, he told me as a little boy, the Sabbath meant that I had to sit alone in my room, looking out the window as my neighbors were playing soccer and I couldn't play with them. We're missing the thread, aren't we, when that's going on? It should be done in a light and joyful spirit. I know another person, I think we did this a little bit, who uh, certain treats were only served on Sunday. And so certain candies, maybe ice cream. So the little, you're going, well, you're bribing your children. But, but for the Lord. The, <laughs> this is Christian parenting I'm talking about. The, uh, and and you would do, there would be some of the foods and some things you did. But it should, we need to, let's make sure it's done in a light and joyful spirit. And again, it doesn't have to be severe. Again, send your kids to the, the trampoline, if, which is the greatest group child babysitter we have ever owned. Uh, when we moved here, my brother gave us the largest industrial-sized trampoline that one can buy, and it is still in our... We don't have kids to do it. Our next-door neighbor kids, they bounce on it now. Go out there before the evening service and bounce off the trampoline. Before that, it was run around the house. Trampoline's more fun. Uh, go on a walk. I, I, play catch with your son and, and talk about the Lord. So it should be done 
with an aim to, this, to, the, to keeping it holy. Uh, the, the Lord's Day, the Sabbath day, a day of rest and enjoyment of God, and uh, a day of joy that we will anticipate. Father in heaven, I thank you for uh, the, thank you for the Sabbath. I thank you, Lord, that you know us. You know our frailty. We're not in heaven yet. We don't have those spiritual bodies we're going to have in the resurrection. And we get tired and we need spiritual refreshment as well. And so I I pray that what I've said tonight, Lord, is a help uh, to us as we, we keep your law because it is good and it's a blessing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.